name is Pastor Daniel. I'm one of the lead pastors here. We're in week three of a series uh, called Antidote for Self. It's a series about humility where we've been reading a book on humility in our small groups as well as a church. And so uh, just to kind of catch you up, we started with the premise that the uh, worst enemy that you're ever going to combat in this life is you. Say me. Okay, no one's going to lie to you like you. No one's going to uh, fight your best interests like you. Really, no one is going to stop your progress when it comes to loving Jesus or finding peace or contentment or satisfaction in this life as much as you are. In fact, it's like that little meme where they finally unmask the villain and it's actually him, right? Let's see who's been causing all this destruction in my life. Oh, me. And so in week one, uh, we talked about the humility of the cross, that this idea that God would actually come down and suffer voluntarily for our benefit should breed a, a massive amount of humility. It's why humility is really central to the idea of Christianity. In week two, we talked about how the gospel itself, the, the whole idea of, of uh, what we deserved and what we actually got and received from God because of the gospel should fuel humility, it defines humility, it shapes humility, and in reality, and this comes directly from the book that we're reading together, the gospel is the only source of true humility. And so today, I wanna talk about the Trinity, the humility of the Trinity, Um, but let me start with, before I scare you with the word Trinity, let me start with some some background, maybe this will help a little bit. There's a book called uh, The Seven Primal Questions. And in that book, uh, it essentially says uh, every person is driven by one of these seven questions or something similar to it in the way they define it. And and we all have sort of a central thing that that it it defines us. And if we're not careful, actually, it can kind of run amok. Um, Question number one, am I safe? For for some people, safety is a primal, it is is a central uh, thing for them. For some people, it's am I secure? For some people, it's am I loved? For some people, it's, am I wanted? For some people, it's, am I good enough? For some people, it's, do I have a purpose or am I making an impact? And uh, if, if you know me, if you spend any time around me, I'm do, uh, that's me, number seven, right? Do, am I making an impact? Do I have a purpose? Is what I'm doing, does it matter? And so when I preach, um, this comes through, which is that when I preach, I want it to lead to your life change. Everything else is immaterial to me. I don't care if you like me. I mean, I like you, but I don't care if you like me. I don't actually really care how you feel about me if the preaching, because of the power of the gospel, as it's proclaimed outwards, changes your life. Man, I am satisfied. Amen? Okay, let's stop. Um, Every year, uh, we kind of start our church calendar right around the time school starts. We kind of reset it every, every year because we find that families kind of get back into a routine, so it's a good time to start it, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, I just realized that it's the start of the season and I haven't taught you how to cheer. Um, and they do this like, you know, in schools and pep rallies and I haven't done it for you. So clearly we have a problem. Let me start with this. Everyone say amen. amen. Okay, de facto Baptist, if you're not sure what to do and you're still scared to put your hands up, you just say amen. Do it again. Amen. Okay, so you already have the basics. That's good, it's good. Uh, crowd participation time. When I ask a question, you participate. How many people here are a sinner? Don't be a liar, get your hand up. No Jesus is in the pew here. No one woke up this morning and tried to walk across their pool, right, because they've never sinned. We're all sinners, good, good. Um, now, when it's really good, you go, that's a good word, pastor. Go ahead. There you go. So like when I'm really needing some self-affirmation, I'm just gonna ask for it and be like, you, you, you feel free to say something to the pet, you know. All right, now you know it's okay to be vocal, to listen, to be actively engaged with your ears. So let's keep going. <clears throat> because of my personality, because I, I desire more than anything else when I preach for your life to change, there are gonna be some things that I probably underemphasize. It's just who I am, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna spend enough time on them. Probably you would need more time on them and I'm, I'm just gonna miss. And there's gonna be some things I'll overemphasize. Here's some things that I'm gonna probably underemphasize. I'm probably not gonna talk a great deal about uh, politics. Just not. You know why? They're not gonna change your life for the positive. 
I don't believe in the power of politics. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them. I'm not going to talk about culturally relevant things for you. You know why? Because they're just not going to lead to life change for you. They're happening. You'll see them. They're going to be in your news. But like, I just, I don't believe in them. And because I don't believe in them, and I don't believe that they're going to lead you to peace and contentment and satisfaction, I'm just I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them. I'm not going to talk about a lot of obscure theological stances. You know, the, the old, age-old one is like, how many angels can fit on the head of the pen? You know, like, like, like all these weird things. Like, I'm not, I guess they're not weird. I shouldn't say they're weird. I just don't care if it's not going to lead to life change in your life. I'm not saying you shouldn't study them. I'm not saying they're not fine interests to have. You're just not going to hear me talk a lot about doctrines and theologies don't lead you to life change. Things I'm probably going to overemphasize. The goodness of God. And let me just tell you why. Because you underestimate him. All of us, because of our sinful nature, still don't fully see him. The Bible says someday we will fully see which means that we don't fully see yet. So you underestimate how good God is. And I'm gonna just keep telling you that. You're probably gonna get sick of it. I'm gonna tell you anyways. Because the more you begin to see him, the more it changes your life. Um, I'm gonna probably overemphasize some tendencies that you and I have, one, to overestimate him. But listen, I'm probably gonna talk to you a lot, and this is gonna be wonderful, about the sins that you struggle with. And you're not gonna like that. Because see, what you would really enjoy, what I really enjoy is when you talk about the sins that other people struggle with, that I'm doing all right with. That's wonderful. When you start talking about the sins that I struggle with, now you're meddling, preacher. Come on, where's the amens? Amen, right? Let's talk about that problem over there that he has. Stay away from these. I don't want to talk about those because they don't lead to life change in your life. I want to talk about yours. I want to talk about your tendency to hide them. 2 Timothy 4.3 says this. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Now, I just heard in the last month, I heard someone go to a church and the pastor quoted this verse. And his takeaway from this verse is that their church got it right and all the other churches have it wrong. That's, that's one take on this. Let me give you my take. My take is that if you ever come in here and I tell you that you're not the problem, you should fire me and get a real preacher. Because you are the problem and I am the problem. It's not somebody else. It's not the broken world that's the problem. It's something that's gone wrong deep down inside of us and we're our worst own enemy. And if I tell you that you've cleaned yourself up and you've got it right and this church has got it all holy and we should put a big fence around here and keep everybody else out, I've got it wrong. I no longer actually read the whole Bible. Fire me and find someone that believes the Bible. Because that's ridiculous. It's just not an us versus them type of thing. It's a me versus me kind of thing. Can I get out of my own way? Do I believe in the goodness of God and will I cling to him in dependency? Now, to get here, to, to, to get to where I want to get in this message, um, I, I'm, I'm going to start with the Trinity, which seems like a very obscure place to start. I understand, but we're going to get to two places. I mean, these are the main points. You can write these down right now. This is where we're going to end up at the end of the service. Number one that it is easy, I want to convince you that it is easier and more effective to replace an idol than it is to just remove one altogether. It's easier and more effective to replace an idol than to remove it altogether. And I will explain that. And number two, if I learn to genuinely love God, I will forget about myself. It's one of the most freeing things that can happen for a Christian. If I learn to genuinely love God, I will forget about myself. Now, here's why we're going to start in the Trinity um, the, the nature of God has so many implications on how we actually live life. And so I don't want to spend a lot of time like sort of in this, this super uh, heady, theological, uh, wishy-washy, you know, theory land. I want to actually talk some about some specific things about the character of God that have these day-to-day -day implications on our life. And I understand that for many of us, the Trinity is, man, it is, it is complex. Amen. 
So God is one, and yet he's three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. So he's not one, he's three, but he is one. And I am like, if that doesn't give you a headache, it gives me a headache to think about too hard. And, and, and I believe that, there, that not everything about the Trinity and the nature of God is fully known, that we don't have to really comprehend it all until we get to heaven, that we're probably not actually ever even able to. Uh, years ago, uh, St. Augustine of Hippo, uh, a, a philosopher and theologian was just consumed with the idea of the Trinity. And he thought, man, if I could just figure out, it, it, figure it out enough to explain it in logical fashion to everybody, like this is what's needed. And so he was just wrestling with this for years because of how complex it was to try to put it in some sort of terms that everyone would understand. And so the story goes that one day he was walking along the seashore and he saw a child alone while he's just sitting thinking about the Trinity and he's walking. And, um, as he watches this little kid on the beach, the, the child makes a hole in the sand and is running to the ocean with this little tiny cup and running back and trying to fill up the hole, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And he's watching this and he, he walks over and he says, little child, what are you doing? And she says, I'm trying to empty the sea into this hole. And Augustine says, how do you think, Augustine asked her, that you can empty this immense sea into this tiny hole with this little cup? And she answered back, and you, how do you suppose that with your small head can comprehend the immensity of God? And then she disappeared. The Trinity is complex. It is mysterious. There's a lot to it. However, there is some that is more simplistic that we can study and understand that will have a real implication on our day-to-day -day lives. And I, want, and I want to talk about that. But, there, but look, there's a lot to this. In fact, there was a question I got um, in the last few weeks that is a part of this, which is, is God humble? God the Father humble? And there's a lot of very educated theologians and well-respected pastors that disagree on the answer to that question. It's a nuanced, complex question. You could answer it a certain way in which clearly God is humble. You could answer it in another way and so it's no, uh, humility is a, is a creaturely attribute for the creation or created things that's not part of God. Here's what, I, I'm not gonna answer all that because it would take a long time to give you both sides of that argument. Um, so I'll just say, is God humble? It depends. However, there is, and this is what I want to study today, there is an undeniable humility displayed in between the three persons of the Trinity. And I'm going to spend some time showing you that in scripture and then talking about why that's really going to matter for you and I. So here's some verses. We're going to start in Matthew 26, 39. And I just want you to focus on, as we read each of these passages of scripture, I want you to focus on how the persons of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, interact with one another. Here we go. Verse 39 of Matthew 26, and going a little further, this is Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, he fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, so Jesus talking to his father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. He's talking about going to the cross. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. John 6, 38, Jesus again, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 15, 26, Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit. But when the helper comes, that's the Holy Spirit, whom I send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. These interactions between these uh, persons. John 16, 13 through 15. When the Spirit of truth comes, Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. John 17, one through five. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to the heaven and said, father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that the son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Now, what is all this talking about? 
What I'm trying to get you to see in just reading these passages to you is that regardless of the immense, infinite authority and power of each of the three persons of the Trinity, they never seem to be consumed with their own power, but really they always seem to be consumed with giving honor and love and glory and authority to one another. All of these verses, all the interactions that we see, continue to, to see them submit to one another, honor one another, serve one another, and yet they have infinite authority. So it's not that they're powerless. No, none of us would look at any God the Father or God the Son of the Holy Spirit and go, you're powerless, and yet they choose voluntarily to submit to one another. Do you see that? Four of you? Oh, seven. Okay, we're, we're getting there. Let me read you two quotes from two uh, much more notable theologians to maybe explain what we see in these passages. Corey Caps would say this about the humility of the Trinity. When scripture says that God is jealous for his glory, so we've seen that in the Old Testament, right? He's a jealous God, he's jealous for his glory. We must remember that we are talking about a triune God, the Trinity. Giving glory happens in community. The Father, Son, and Spirit are equally passionate about extolling one another. God is indeed passionate about his glory. The Father is adamant that the Son be lifted high. The Son is deeply concerned that the Father be honored. The Spirit refuses to shine the light on himself. He wants Christ to be seen. Does this make sense? So in the context of the local church, the body of Christ, when this, these implications begin to kind of seep into the church, I become consumed, you become, become consumed with honoring one another, not ourselves. So it's not about my glorification. It's not about, man, can I get more notoriety? I, I, I want you to, to know how hard Mark Given serves the church. And I want him to be honored. And I want you to understand his, his work and how honorable that is that he's serving the church and serving the Lord and serving you. And we begin to imagine how freeing it would be to be consumed, not with getting recognition yourself, but that other people would be recognized. And so um, you become consumed with like, hey, do you know that Shane and Grace just keep serving and keep serving and keep serving? Have you seen how hard they work? And you just become consumed with just wanting them to be honored for their service. And, and you're just like, you can't stop but talk about Cameron Palm and the way that he loves on people at the manor. Why? Because you're just, you want them and the work that they're doing to be seen because you want them to be encouraged for the work and the way that they serve the Lord. And, and that's, that is just an application of the very nature of the God we serve. Does this make sense? So, so, so all of those identity crises in your head where, where you're like, I don't think my hard work is being recognized. You know, we all felt that way. Don't lie to me. You, you felt overlooked. Somebody else got the job. Somebody else got the promotion. Somebody else got the mention. Heck, I just mentioned three people right now, and somebody in here was like, didn't mention me. <laughs> right? This is human nature. What if, what if all those feelings were never about ourselves, but like, oh, I wish, I wish we could have mentioned this person, right? I wish we could have, I wish they could get honored too. If all, it's so freeing when all of your fights for recognition aren't even about yourself. And that's the Trinity. They're never worried about themselves. The Father's always worried about the Son being lifted up. The Son's worried about the Father being lifted up. The Holy Spirit doesn't come and say anything of his own, but he only hears, he only says what he hears, even though he has authority because he wants to voluntarily submit to the Father and the Son. Here's Tim Keller talking about this. Each of the divine persons centers upon the others. None demands that the others revolve around him. Each voluntarily circles the other two, pouring love, delight, and adoration into them. Each person of the Trinity loves, adores, defers to, and rejoices in the others. This creates a dynamic, pulsating dance of joy and love. That last line's a little weird. Dynamic, pulsating dance of joy and love. I, I went to that rave in college. Uh, but you know what he's trying to say, right? This perfect community that's always deferring to each other and loving each other and wanting the recognition for one another. Now, why does this matter? Well, because this is the God that created us. This is who he is. And so, so, so the implication to us is this. Let's start here. You and I were created 
to worship him. That's, that's our entire job. That's like why we're here. Isaiah 43, 21 says it this way. The people whom I formed, because he created you, he knit you together in your mother's womb. The people whom I formed, that they might declare my praise. I don't care what life goals you set. You were created to worship God. You may not be doing it. We call that rebellion. It's what you were created for. You may be the person that's like, I won't even lift my hands in church. Doesn't matter. You're still created to praise God. It's why you were built. It's why you were made. Think about it this way. Um, a microwave. At this point, I don't have to explain what that is, right? Everyone? Okay. A micro- Thank you. A microwave was created to make Kraft Mac and Cheese, according to my 10-year-old son. Because he eats it like 12 times a week. The guy's going to be malnourished at some point. He won't eat anything else. But a microwave was created to heat things up. Yes? Okay. So a microwave is not going to work very well if you um, put your dog in it and turn it on, right? We call that a hot dog. No? It's not gonna, okay, uh, a microwave is not going to seem like it's functioning very well if I keep putting all my trash in it instead of putting the trash in the trash can. A microwave is not going to seem like it's working very well if I take my dirty laundry and I keep putting my dirty laundry in there and turning it on and wondering why it's not getting clean. Right. Why? This is not what it was built for. It's built to heat things up. So you, who were built to praise and worship God, are going to seem pretty dysfunctional when you spend your time and energy and passion worshiping yourself, worshiping your work, worshiping a relationship, worshiping a desire for a relationship that you don't have, but you really have and you, you want to have. And, you, and if you did have, everything would be fine. When, when, when we do not work toward the purpose that we were created, things are going to be dysfunctional. Amen? Okay. The persons of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, are consumed with honoring each other. And we were created for the sole purpose in life to praise God. And everything good in life and in creation was intended to flow down from that purpose. So if you miss this purpose of life, everything else is going to be dysfunctional. So we're created to worship. Now, let's talk about how. Look at how the Trinity works. They are intentionally dependent on each other. They have infinite authority and infinite power and yet constantly they are dependent on one another. Jesus walks this earth perfectly capable of doing anything that is in his power. He even says at one point on trial, if I wanted to, I could call down an army of angels. And what does he spend his life doing? Being dependent and submissive to the will of the Father voluntarily. Okay, this is the the MO, this is the model. We We gotta learn from this. You and I were created to worship, but we were designed to be dependent, okay? We were created to worship, but we were designed to be dependent. Let me show you this. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Philippians 4, 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. Philippians 4, 3. The most misinterpreted verse in the Bible. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And the kicker, John 15, four and five. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do? How much? Zero. Okay, you're the microwave. You ever tried to microwave something when the power's out? You ever unplug the microwave and see how well that works? The microwave, when it's not plugged in, is a big, heavy, expensive box. When you 
who was created not just to worship God, but to be dependent on him for everything, attempt to do things of your own power independently, you don't work very well. You don't work very well. In fact, the Bible would say, not only do you not work very well, you can do nothing. Now, why is that a big deal? Because we live in a culture, in in a time, in a place, in a season, in a political system, in a society that says, you need to be independent. You You need to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You need to make it happen. You need to look out for you. You do you, boo. Slay, queen. Everything about this culture and this world is telling you the opposite of what the Bible is telling you. Let me spell it out for you. Independently, you will die. Independence is death. Dependence on God is what you were designed for. It's how you were designed. It's the only design that works. And apart from that dependence, you can do nothing. Nothing. And not only does the Bible spell that out for you, but the very nature of the God you worship and who created you is showing you, is illustrative of the fact that they depend on one another voluntarily. And you and I were created in his image. We are, of all of the created things, the only thing that was created in God's image to be an image bearer of God. No mammal, no insect, no, no uh, mother nature, no, no vegetable, no tree, no angel, no spirit, no demon. Nothing else was created to be an image bearer of God but you and I. And so, of course, there's going to be an imprint of that same dependency. Of course, we're going to be created for dependency on God when God himself is dependent in the Trinity to show us what community looks like. You and I were created to worship, and we were designed to be dependent So why is humility so important? Because that's humbling. Like to put your arms around the fact that we were created to be completely dependent on God, nothing of our own power, and to spend our life worshiping him is humbling. It's humiliating. Worship and dependency. Now, not only does the Bible tell us this, um, but if, if, we could, if we just spend time looking at the nature of God, of who God is, we would begin to see this, right? As image bearers of him, that, that we were created after a God who is showing us this submission and humility inside the Trinity. Last week, I spoke to you uh, really briefly. In part of this sermon, uh, we talked about this idea of idolatry. And I want to I go back and talk about idolatry again, because idolatry is where the Christian life, or life in general, just goes off the rails. Uh, if you've ever spent any time reading the Old Testament, like I don't know how many times they fall back into idolatry 40 times I don't know it's just ridiculous you lose count of how many times God has to go back to his own people and tell them like go clean the idol now in this case the idols back in the old testament were like carbon images but uh, I want to be very clear that that's not what we're talking about in our life okay so I'm going to define idolatry or idols um, the way Tim Keller would do that and it sounds this is what he says what is an idol it is anything that absorbs your heart an imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. Okay, so an idol, working on this definition, an idol is anything that would absorb, would, would consume your passion, your, your, your mental energy, your spiritual energy, your emotional energy more than God. I want you to chew on that for a second. Because there are good things that can end up idols in our heart. Amen? It's not just evil things. In fact, most of the time it's not evil things. Sometimes it is. There are good things. Your kids can become an idol. Your relationship can become an idol. Your desires and goals, yourself. You, you. How, how often have we tried to climb up in God's throne in our heart and idolize ourselves? And we do this with everything in our life. Um, 
there are so many illustrations of the, the way we, we practice modern idolatry. Um, Russ and I, uh, a, a few years ago now, went on a trip to Arizona where we took some vacation. We did a road trip, and we went and watched uh, a, a USC game who was playing Arizona State, I think, at the time. So we got to go to that game on a Saturday. And then uh, Seattle, which is his favorite pro team, was playing the Arizona Cardinals on a Sunday. So we went like this whole road trip weekend. It was a bro trip. Football with more football. I mean, that, come on. And uh, on the trip, we met this lady who was traveling from Los Angeles to uh, Arizona. And we were talking to her and we're like, oh, are you going to the game? And she's like, no, there's a famous sports bar in Arizona that um, watches all of the Seattle Seahawks games. And there are people from all over the country that fly to Arizona to sit at this sports bar and watch the Seattle Seahawks game on TV. I was like, no way, right? She's like, yeah. And she's talking to us about, she doesn't have a lot of money, how much she's scrimped and saved to go to this sports bar in Arizona. And we're like, like it's, it's a bit unbelievable. And so we happen to be there and we're like, let's go. Okay, let's go see this thing. I want to go see this thing. So, so we go, and she is not exaggerating. This place is decked out in, in, in the blue and the green of, of the Seattle Seahawks. And, and, and not just that, like, with all the paraphernalia, but everyone that shows up isn't just wearing a jersey. I mean, they're face-painted and crazy hats. I mean, it's, it's a full display, like costumes, right? They're not at a game. <laughs> they're at a sports bar. And so the game starts, and... Um, I forget who they were even, the, the moment we went to this place, I can't remember who they're playing, but I remember we didn't have Seahawks stuff on and they were like, there were about five different people who came up to us and were like, I think they're playing the Rams. They're like, you're not Rams fans, are you? <laughs> like, like they were, and we were just like, what? Because we, we didn't have all the stuff on and we're like, we just kind of wanted to watch, you know, like we don't even, I don't even have a dog in this fight. And they're like, and they, I mean, they were, they were suspect. Like we might not, make it out unscathed. And so we're just like, whoa, it's, we're watching. And at some point the game is really close <clears throat> and, and somebody there, and it's packed and there's no scene, but, but, but one of the ladies like ends up in front of the big screen on her knees watching the game. And I mean, we're, we're watching this and we're looking at each other and I'm like, man, if, if, I, never, if I ever needed a, a visual demonstration of idolatry in the American life, right? Except maybe for you, it's not a sports team. Maybe for you, it's getting your kid through Little League so they can get a college scholarship in some sport. Maybe for you, it's that promotion that you just really want. Maybe for you, it's a relationship because you, you're tired of being alone and it is a lonely place and you want a relationship. And I mean, you would be willing to crawl on your knees and worship at the altar of that relationship. And the problem is that you and I, because of sin, are prone to idolatry because we were actually created to worship. We just have this tendency to worship the wrong thing. I want to talk to you briefly about how to fight idolatry in our lives. And, and yes, it definitely uh, starts and is tied to what we see in the very nature of the Trinity. In order to fight idolatry, we must place God at the center of our passions and our energies and our focus. And when we do that, it naturally pushes all of those other things outside of his rightful place down on the priority list. So the trick is not simply trying to remove all of the potential things that we could worship. It's rather making sure that the thing that we should worship God is in his rightful place so that we can push those other things down. That means it's, it's about focusing and seeking and straining for more of him. Can I appreciate him a little more today? Can I think about him a little more today? Can I know him a little better today? Can, can I praise him a little more passionately today? Can I rest in him a little bit extra today? Can I be encouraged by him yet again today? Can I sink more deeply into the Lord today? 
I don't want to expend a ton of energy looking at all of the other things that I might worship. If you're going to go on a diet, it doesn't make any sense to like go outside the donut store and just stare at the donuts. I shouldn't eat you. I shouldn't eat you. Man, I really shouldn't eat you. Like, that's not helpful. And we do that sometimes in our own lives. Like, oh, like, the Pharisees did this, right? They got so consumed with the law. They got co- so consumed with things that might cause them to not be holy that all they could see is the, the law and they miss Jesus. It's not about looking at all of the potential things you could worship and, and being like, I'm gonna really try really hard not to worship those. It's about looking at him, gazing at him, watching him, loving him, learning who he is more and more and more so you, everything else just kind of fades, I'm not telling you that you should not remove things that would cause you to not love Jesus. The Bible's actually really clear about how, how you should feel about that, like lopping off hands and plucking out eyes if it would cause you to sin. My point is that that's not where our, our energy is. That's not where our proactivity is. That's not where our intentional planning is. Most of our work is about loving him more. Yes, if you see some stuff that's causing you to sin, you should absolutely be willing to deal with that. But listen, you're not gonna have the, the motivation or the willpower or the discipline to do that if you're not falling in love with him. No amount of religiosity is gonna get you to really truly address the sin and idolatry in your heart if you're not falling in love with the Lord. So four practical ways, four practical ways to fall in love with Jesus. You ready? They all start with the same letter because I'm Baptist. This is what we do, okay? Number one, I'm gonna you the four S's. Number one, first thing to do, spend time with him. Spend time with him. You're trying to build a relationship with something, someone, you're going to spend time with them. That's just how it works. You want to build a relationship with somebody and you spend no time with them? Shocking. It's not working. Okay. Spend time with him. Now, spend time with him with no distractions as as much as possible. Now, some of y'all, we live in a life, uh, in a world of distractions you don't always control those things. I'll tell you what you do control. You control your phone. Amen? Okay, like the, the, the statistics on how many of us are addicted to our phone is pretty sobering. Um, if you ever want an, an object lesson on how addicted you are to your phone, power it off at the beginning of my sermon and watch how many times you grab it and try to look at it over and over again until you realize it's off and you can't see it. You don't, no one wants to do that? Oh, fine, okay. Good. Your phone is killing you. It's not the only thing, but if you want to fall in love with the Lord, spend time with him, cut out distractions, be intentional about it. Number two, surround yourself with his people. We have studied social sciences enough in, in, in this modern culture to know that the single greatest predictor of what you'll become is based on who you're around. Your community is going to drive where you go in life. It just is, okay? You spend your time around unhealthy, overweight people, you will become unhealthy and overweight. We know it. It is a fact. You spend your time around active, healthy people, you will become more active and healthy. Like, it's just what happens. The, 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 we are a communal community people. We value relationships. You can't stop it happening. You're going to be impacted by somebody. My question is, Who? Choose wisely. Choose the people of God. You were built to be in community. Choose people that love God. If you want to love the Lord, spend time around people who? Man, see, you already know. I can stop preaching. Y'all could teach this message. It's easy, right? So, so in some fashion or another, from invocation to, to need to know to benediction to sermon, you're going to hear every single week in this church, get in a community group. Get in a community group. Get in a community group. Are you in a community group? When you're tired of hearing that and very nauseous is about the time I know you've heard it. Get in a community group. You're gonna go at the pace and direction the people you let into your life. And listen, it's quality, not quantity. It's not about knowing 500 people. It's not about being in seven community groups. 
It's about getting into a group of people who love the Lord and grow to love you and that you're willing to be vulnerable with so that those sins and struggles that you don't want to talk about and you hope we don't know about that we probably actually do know about get drug out into the light so that you have some accountability and encouragement and help along the way. Spend time with the Lord. Surround yourself with his people. Three, soak in his word. Study it, listen to it, read it, bathe in it, memorize it. His word is life. His word is everything. In my life, um, I've, I've done it with this and without this, and I've just noticed the difference. And so at this point in my life, I'm on a constant read the Bible in a year. And every, when I finish, I just start another one because I realize that no, nothing else works as well. I want to get up every single day and I want to, I want to take scripture and I want to pour it over my head. I mean, I don't know any other way to say it. There's times I'm not really paying hard attention to it. I'm not probably listening all the way, but I just want to know that every single day, it's just, just coating me and covering me over and over and over again because what we consume is what we become. If I took incredibly vulgar, horrible music, and I just listened to it five hours a day. I, it, it would have a, a heart change on me. It would have a major impact. If I ate nothing but junk food, it would have a, a problem. I would create all kinds of health problems. Um, if I watched nothing but uh, secular, sarcastic, mean-spirited uh, TV. Is that too close to home? It would have an impact. So instead, right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend time with the Lord, I'm gonna surround myself with his people, and then I'm gonna take his word and I'm just gonna pour it over my head every single day, every single day, every single day. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, beyond what I'm gonna study for my job, what I, beyond my, my community group study or the books that I'm reading, I'm gonna just take it every single day and I'm pour it over my head. And every time I see something that doesn't match the way I feel, even by one degree, it's perfect. It means there's an argument between you and God. Who's right, you or God? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I know that 99.9% .9 of the time is probably God, but you know, no, every time. It's God. So, so I, when, I, when, I, when I read that scripture and he begins to prick me and poke me and I'm like, well, I'm just, I'm just one degree off. That's death. It's an argument, who's right, me or God? It's God, every time. He, the scripture is the normalizing factor in the Christian life. It, it is the compass, it is the moral guide, it is life-giving, and when I see it, and it's different than how I feel, then I adjust my emotions back to it. Spend time with him. Surround myself with his people. Soak in his word and serve other people. The nature of the Trinity is the... God, in the, in the, Father, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in infinite authority, in beautiful holiness, in perfect power, serve each other. Voluntarily submit to each other, serve each other. And you and I, we, we work best when we begin, as we love God, to pour ourselves out for other people. It's in our nature because it's the nature of our God. So we're going to find places to serve in our church. We're gonna find places to serve outside of our church. We're gonna find people to serve. We're gonna, we're gonna see need and recognize that if you see need, that is God opening your eyes to that need to invite you in to do gospel work. Yeah. Hear me. When you see need, it's not because you're, you're suddenly like so good at looking for need. Let's be real. When you see need, that is God opening your eyes to show you an invitation into doing gospel work, okay? And when you do it, it's gonna look weird. People are going to find it weird because we don't live in a culture or society that way. Do it anyways. I, 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 over the winter, I was um, walking my son to the bus stop. And so I, I, as I'm walking by, one of my neighbors is all done up in like her work clothes. And she's got her makeup on, she's got her hair done. She's got the nice like business suit on and she's in her car and her, her car has completely frozen over on the windshield. I mean like a solid chunk of ice. And then because she, she's all done up, she doesn't, clearly she doesn't wanna get up there and try to like get it all off. So she's sitting in her car with the windshield wipers on. Have you seen windshield wipers over a solid chunk of ice? 
like nothing's happening. He's just wearing all the rubber off of it, right? And we're walking by and I'm like, oh, that's terrible. And I keep walking. (laughs) And so I get him to the bus stop and I come back and it's still going. There has been no ice come off this thing, right? So I run over in like my PJs, you know, and I, and I get her, her hose and I'm, I spray her thing off, right? And she's thankful, but she's also like, this is pretty weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah it, it is. But you know, I have, I've had opportunities now to get to talk to my neighbors because I served them. And now I can talk to them. You're gonna have opportunities to serve people. And, and it's, it's gonna be a beautiful thing. And, and listen, yes, it'll, it'll be a little weird. It'll be a little awkward. Listen, if you come to this church, you should know by now, we're weird. The, que- the question is not if we're weird. The question is, are we your kind of weird? We're not trying to not be weird. We just wanna know if we can find your kind of weird somewhere in one of these community groups with you. Serve other people. Spend time with the Lord. Limit distractions. Surround yourself with his people. Soak in his word and serve other people. This is the formula to learn to love God. This is how you fall in love with him more deeply. And you, the only way to fight idolatry in your heart is to replace the idol by falling in love with God. It's never enough to just remove it. I'll tell you why. When you try to remove an idol, something else just fills the gap. It always does. It always does. Have you ever been on the beach and, and you've seen a little kid who thought they were gonna like stop the ocean by building a little wall of sand? And it just flows right in and around the center, right? Like, that's what we do. In space of a vacuum, we were designed to worship. You're going to worship something. The question is always, what are you worshiping? So if you try to just pull an idol out, another one takes its place. If you've ever gone to like a sober living facility where they, uh, everyone in there is coming off some sort of substance abuse, right? Coming off alcoholism or coming off a substance abuse of a hard drug, they all smoke. You ever notice that? Why? Because man, when I remove something, Whoop, something just jumps right in. Like, it's, it's human nature. So instead of simply trying to remove things, let's do it a little bit more like the Bible would tell us to do it. Let's start by being intentional, by planning on ways to fall in love with God more. Because that is the formula for, life, for satisfaction and contentment in this life. We're gonna close right now. Our prayer team and our elders are gonna come up. I, 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 want, I just wanna remind you of something in, in, our, in our church. Um, I, I really struggle with the term recovery ministry. Um, we've had recovery ministries as individual ministries and departments at different times in, in the life of our church and everything. And, and they've been wonderful, don't get me wrong. But, I, but, I, but part of me really hates the term because for, there's a the stigma to that that somehow like you and I are normal and people in recovery ministry are addicts. And I just want you to understand right now, you're an addict. Okay, I'm an addict. I am a multiple time addict, not a one time addict, not a repeat addict, like, a, like a, just a lifetime addict of this thing called sin, and that sin takes different forms and, and, and different types of sin, but it's still addiction. And, and, and when we try to act like recovery ministry is, is necessary for just like this, and the rest of us are okay, like, man, I am such a mess. And understanding that actually makes it so much easier to chase after the Lord than, than to lie to ourselves and act like we've somehow cleaned ourselves up and we're okay. Sin is rampant in our life. We're never going to get away from it. We put a, a huge focus on um, substance abuse, and, 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 and rightly, substance abuse has caused massive issues in our, in our culture and so many deaths. Um, but, 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 but think about this. 68% of men in church are addicted to pornography. 50% of pastors are addicted to pornography. We're addicts, guys. And, and there are no victimless crimes. Like when it comes to sin, your sin is first against God before it's against anyone else. And, and nothing that you do in secret doesn't have implications on your life and on your worship of the Lord. And for every person excusing something like, like porn, as a great example, who's that hurting? you are 300% more likely to participate in infidelity in your marriage if you're actively viewing porn. 300% more likely. 
Does it matter? It absolutely matters. What you do in secret matters. What you do in the dark matters. What you do alone matters. Because, man, we are just addicted to sin and in need of a savior. I'm telling you this, not because I want you to feel bad about yourself. I want you to feel welcome. The person to your left and the person to your right, they're an addict too. I'm an addict. And so we don't gather together so that we can revel in how good we are. We gather together so that we can encourage one another with how good he is. And, and growing gratitude that he saved us, that he loves us, that he's still walking with us, that he would take an addict like me and love me as much as he does and be patient with me as I chase after him. We're gonna close our service together. And um, I want to give you an invitation to come and pray with an elder or a member of the prayer group today. Um, let, me, let me just talk to you about a couple of things. Number one, um, if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you never looked at Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and King, if you've never declared with your lips and believed in your heart that he is your Lord, that is the gospel, that is salvation. I wanna offer you an invitation to come today so we can talk to you about what that looks like, what it looks like to put your faith in Christ, what it looks like to take next steps after that, to declare that to the world through baptism. And we would love to talk with you and pray with you about receiving the Lord. If you're struggling, and I just essentially named every one of you because we're all struggling. If you're struggling with something in your life, we cherish the opportunity to pray with you and to walk with you. We wanna pray over you, we wanna pray for you, we wanna connect you to the community of God, we wanna talk to you about places that you can go to begin to fall in love with other people who love the Lord, who have an impact on your life, because we love you because the Lord loves you. So we're gonna be here, we're gonna play for a few minutes, we're gonna give you an uh, opportunity to respond as the Lord moves in you, that you would obediently follow his prompting to come and do whatever it is that God is leading you to do. And then in a few moments, we're gonna talk about communion. So you move as the Lord leads, Rachel's gonna play. Let me pray us uh, close as you move. Uh, Father God, I just thank you for the people that are here that you, you have just continued to chase after God. <laughs> people that feel like they have run for so long and hidden for so long, God, that you would give up on them, God, but you have not given up on us. Thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you for chasing me. Thank you for loving me, God. I ask God that as you uh, pierce people's hearts, as you move them to acts of obedience, God, that they would be bold to chase after you, to be intentional, to come, to speak, to join, to be proactive, to plan ways to fall in love with you, God. I thank you for what you're doing and what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. You move as the Lord.